Okay, I'm glad you're here. It's uh, Chai Elul. It's a big day. This is uh, the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov and the birthday of the Alta Rebbe of Lubavitch, the founder of the Chabad dynasty. And uh, and uh, and then um, my niece just had a, a baby. So, so it's, uh, it's his birthday too. <laughs> so, uh, God willing, this, uh, these stars should be... Uh, uh, you know, in that spirit, and and uh, I guess he doesn't he doesn't even have a, a name yet. So, but it's uh, certainly uh, you know it's um, normally speaking we we, we uh, just observe yurtzeits, not not birthdays. So this is a sort of a, a unique holiday in the in the Jewish calendar in that we're actually celebrating a birthday, um, uh, the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov and the and and the Alta Rebbe of Lubavitch. So. So it's a it's a it's a special day. So, uh, okay. So the the question, and it's certainly the question that all 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 of our greatest rabbis and and prophets and leaders, and certainly the the Baal Shem Tov and, and the Alter Rebbe uh, dealt with, is um, the question of how can I fix my soul, and. In a lot of ways, this is in a lot of ways this is the question. This is the the essence of our lives, um, the thing that we have to confront and and, and take seriously. Um, you know, one of the most moving stories that I ever heard was I heard it from Rav Shlomo, and it was about how did the how. How did Rebbe Nachman of Breslau, who was, I guess, the, the grandson, of, I, I think the great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, how, how, did, how, did he, how did he become a Rebbe? So the story is that, um, you know, back in, in that period of, of time, people got married very young because the, the birth rate, was, I mean, the, the life expectancy was, was very short. So people were getting married around, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 and um, it was at his wedding at that time, and he was standing in front of the wedding hall, and people, guests were, were coming in, and each person who came in, you know, Rebbe Nachman would look them in the eye and say, why are you here? And people were sort of like, kind of like, a little bit shocked or, you know, taken aback by the question. And they'd explain, oh, you know, you haven't seen me since you were very young or whatever it is, but I'm your cousin's, you know, aunt or whatever it is. Or I'm actually on your, your wife's side or I'm, whatever it is, they, they scrambled to come up with sort of an answer or justification why they were there. And uh, Rebbe Nachman asked uh, another young person who was also on fire. And he looked at him in the eye and he said, why are you here? And he said back to him, you know, I lie in bed every night asking myself the same question. <laughs> and so he's the only person who actually, or the first person who actually understood what question was being asked. And he said, and there's a group of us who also ask ourselves this question. Why are we here? And we meet in the forest. Mm-hmm. And Rebbe Nachman started learning with him. And that's how he became a Rebbe. That was the beginning of his becoming a Rebbe. So, 
it's it it's very it makes a lot of sense this story because it's the it it for it to be the foundation of how he became the great teacher that he is and for anyone who has become a great teacher um that history has remembered and history goes back to um it's because they're addressing the most fundamental question and why why am i here um is 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 another way of asking the question how can i fix my soul um i heard from reb shlomo that that you know we we jews believe in reincarnation which is kind of um unfortunately a, a well kept secret i i wish that it wasn't i wish i i wish that it was more widely known um because it's it's a whole another way of looking at everything and it's uh and i heard rep shlomo say that this world is like a hospital clinic that that every person here is here to fix something so we're all here to fix something and um it could be that a person becomes like just thinks okay so so that's why i'm here i'm here to fix whatever i i didn't exactly get right in a in a previous lifetime but i thought very deeply about this and and the truth is is that 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 would actually be insufficient because the truth is is that we have three three accounts that are working simultaneously we have our past life whatever that is but during our present life we're making mistakes also and during our present life we also have to fix what it is that's going on because as we're trying to rectify whatever it is we're making mistakes along the way and then also there are things that are happening in our life which are for the future because there are certain things that happen to us that are completely mysterious and then we only find out later on that it was meant for something later on and sometimes it's not even meant for us later on it's meant for a child or a grandchild later on and and so we have three accounts that are going on simultaneously which is fixing our past fixing our present and fixing our future and all of these things are in play during our lifetime this is one of the reasons why life is so confusing because you don't actually know what what is what what the root of of the problem is necessarily um but if you address it from the standpoint that that i have that all of us have something to fix i think that it's a great insight into the way god runs into runs the world and 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 into the and and also a, a great insight about the nature of our own lives that god doesn't tell us what it is that we have to fix it would seem to me that that would be like if 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 you're saying okay you're here to fix something i'm going to give you another god willing 70 80 120 years in this world in order to do that don't you think i should be given that piece of information and by the way i i strongly recommend i urge you not to go to quote unquote mystics who will tell you what it is that you have to fix and who will do things like past life regressions 
please avoid that at all costs. Do not engage in that. And I have my reasons for telling you that. So just trust me. Don't do that. We're not being told what it is we have to fix, and that's by design. So if you think about it, that, that then becomes very puzzling. Obviously, I need to fix something, otherwise God wouldn't have brought me back. And it's not easy going through life. It's okay, there are a lot of joys, for sure. But there are a lot of challenges and oftentimes a lot of suffering. So obviously, God doesn't play games with us. If he's bringing us back, that means that there's, there's something important going on in terms of, of me needing to fix something. So then it compounds the question. It makes the question even stronger. Why am I not being told how to do it? What, 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 it, what it is? The specifics of it. Can you imagine God says to you, go home. The important thing is for you to go home. Where do I live? Eh. Well, the world's a very big place. Where do I live? Eh. <laughs> so, so this is, this is hard. But I think that, I mean, I'm sure we could come up with a lot of answers to this question, but I just want to propose one, which is that it must be that by living a Torah life that I will fix it. In other words, it can't be that God puts us into this situation without the solution. And he's commanded us to do the mitzvot. So it must be that by doing the mitzvot, I will necessarily fix whatever I need to fix. It must be. It must be. So, so, so that, that gives us the centrality of the Torah as our path in life. Now, now I want to just shift gears for a moment because this whole discussion is, is, is um, impacted by um, sort of our more immediate concern right now which is Rosh Hashanah. Because Rosh Hashanah is coming up, and Rosh Hashanah is that that new set of instructions, that new game plan that's coming down from heaven. And um, I heard Rabbi David Aaron discuss it in this way, and I I thought it was very helpful um, in terms of just understanding things. And and we'll we'll sort of like zero in and try to flesh out... um, uh, these thoughts as, as, as best as I can. But he offers a mushal, he offers a, an analogy, which is that, that God, so to speak, is, is the author, and we are the characters. And, and what's, what's, what's phenomenal, and I'm speaking as a writer right now, when, you, when, you, when the author writes, he doesn't really consult the characters. And yet God does consult us. So that's an amazing, it's an amazing relationship. Um, if, you, if we want to extend the, the analogy, and, and I, I think that it's a, a helpful extension to, to think of it in this way. You know, in, um, in television, you have a new season, right? So the new season is about to come down. And anyone who watches TV knows 
hey, you know what? This new season is so interesting. That person got married in the new season. That person had a baby in the new season, right? That person got who knows what in the new season, right? So the new season, so to speak, is coming down. And the, quest, and, and, and the amazing thing about Rosh Hashanah and all these days leading up to culminating in Yom Kippur is God is asking us who are figures in this unfolding drama, what role do you want to play in the new season? And then you get to talk to, so to speak, Kaviyoko, the, the executive producer, you know, and say, you know, this is, this is the role that I want to play. So now, if that's the case, how can we make our, our prayers on Rosh Hashanah most impactful, right? Because we want to make the best case for ourselves in terms of the role that we can play. So, so this is really where Elul comes in because Elul is um, the month leading up to Rosh Hashanah. That's the days that we're in right now. So, so and we know that Elul has a, a very special spiritual significance we say that the king is in the field. So what does that mean? The king is in the field. That's normally speaking, the king is in the palace. It's like a big deal to get to the king. But now the king is coming to us. Okay, so what, what isn't God always available? So what does it mean exactly? So it, it means that God is more available now. But what does that mean? What does that mean? So I want to put all these thoughts together and try to give some very practical advice about how we can strengthen the case that we can make on Rosh Hashanah. So, so, tefillot, prayers, are very, very great. They're very, very high. And um, our sages teach us that we ourselves don't appreciate the power of our own prayers and the power of prayer in general. Um, so we have to take it very seriously. However, even better than prayers are if we can support the prayers with actions. So let me, let me give you an, an example, okay? Imagine you're making a presentation to venture capitalists, right? And they have millions and millions of dollars, right? And, and you say to them, you know something? I have this idea, right? Um, I'm just going to make something up on the spot. It's a great tasting ice cream. Like, this ice cream is going to taste better than all the ice creams on the market. And then there's like, well, you know, that's, people eat a lot of ice cream, and this can be the best tasting ice cream on the market. That sounds really good. How are you going to do it? I don't know. I haven't figured that part out yet. <laughs> um, okay, well, listen, it was really nice meeting you. <laughs> we really appreciate your taking the time to come in and everything like that. It's, it, what, that wasn't, I, the, I, I did not take full advantage of that opportunity that I had there, right? So now what's, a, what's another example? What's a better example? You, you, make your, you, make, you, you say your idea, and they say, wow, that sounds really interesting. How are you going to do that? And then you say, okay, can you, can you dim the lights for a moment? You dim the lights. I've got a whole presentation. And now all of a sudden you've got, you've got numbers and you've got a breakdown and you've got a five-year plan 
and you've got an advisory board, and you've got an entire presentation. Then they go, and you end by saying, and you know something, I'm going to need $50 million for that. And they're like, okay, yeah, let's do it. I think this sounds really solid. So, so who do you want to be? Which version of that do you want to be on Rosh Hashanah? So on Rosh Hashanah, ask yourself, what is it that I want to do in the coming year? Right? In, and then ask yourself, what actions can I take right now that, that when I stand before Hashem on Rosh Hashanah, I can say, you know something, and I, and I, and I did this, right? And I've already done this, and I've already done that. You know what? I want to start a new business. Okay, and God, you know something? I've already talked to a broker, and I've already looked at different places. And you know what? I went on that um, GoDaddy, and I registered the name of a, of a website, you know, for the company. And, and I'm, 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 I'm trying. I'm trying. I really am. And then all of a sudden, it's sort of like, hey, this person's for real. This person's for real. Um, so, so if, if there's something that you want, you know, pretend you're standing in front of a board. And try to anticipate what questions you would be asked, right? You know, I want to, I want to, I want to raise a family. That's great. Do you have a job? Oh, you mean I need a job for that? You know, there are certain basic things that that we have to expect of ourselves at a certain point if we want something because other people are expecting them of us. And so so that's and then sometimes that involves doing some 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 hard thinking and hard choice making because then we have to start prioritizing and we can say you know something I have prioritized my freedom and my spontaneity, say, for most of my life. And you know what? That was good for me up until now. But you know something? Now I have a priority which is more important to me. <coughs> so so we, have to, we have to allow ourselves to change and allow ourselves to grow and allow maybe a great passion that we've had, not to necessarily just rule us at a certain point. And we can say, you know something, that, that, was, that, that, that gave me a lot of great years, and that was great, but now I want to do this more. And that requires this type of thinking, and these type of choices, and these type of prior, prioritizing. And... And that's, that's good. That, that's, that's, that's good living. That's good living. Because then we're controlling our lives as opposed to our inertia controlling us. Our, our, our previous choices controlling us. Um, so now, let's talk about the greatness of Elul. And, and I want to try to give a, an, a, a maybe a, 
an explanation of what this means. The king is in the fields, like in 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 uh, and and perhaps a uh, another level. Besides the idea that just God is more available, what what does that mean exactly? So now imagine a conversation between a husband and a wife, and the wife says to the husband, "You don't love me," and the husband says, "I do love you. I bought you flowers in March." Right. So how 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 good how good a defense is that? I mean, he probably did buy the flowers in March, and that was a sign of love. And so that's that's real. That's real. But it's also not great. <laughs> it's not great. It's not a great defense because as the the nature of a a, a relationship. Like my dad, Olav Shalom, used to say, and I, I love the simplicity of this because it's just so direct. He said, relationships are like houseplants. If you don't water them, they die. <laughs> I mean, can, can you get anything more simple and direct than that? It's just, that's it right there, you know? It's all you need to know if you want to have, have a good relationship. Relationships are like houseplants. If you don't water them, they die. They need to be watered pretty regularly, you know? Otherwise, they die. So, so, so the idea is like this. In Elul, Hashem gives us this super special opportunity where He counts the actions. Like, do you know, sometimes they have sales like um, on, on frequent flyer mileage. They say, you know, Anything you buy now, you get double miles or triple miles, things like that. So any mitzvot that we do right now, especially in the name of fixing our souls, in the name of making ourselves more worthy of, of having a prayer answered, whatever that is, you know, sometimes the, making ourselves more worthy for having a prayer answered will not necessarily be just to um, do something on the topic of the direct need. It might be doing more chesed or giving more tzedakah or something like this, you know? So all, all of these things, God counts double, triple, quadruple, right? And, and I think that's another level of what it means the king is in the field. That meaning to say that he's ever more receptive to the actions that we're doing right now and counts them even more because they provide a focus for what it is we're trying to accomplish. Now, let me give you a visualization for this so that we're communicating. Imagine you have a pencil, but the pencil has a broken point. Okay? Is it a pencil? It's still a pencil. It's, it's, it's not nothing. It, it's, it's something. Okay? Um, that's flowers in March, right? There are actions that we've done over the course of the year, they're, they're, and they're real actions. But the pencil doesn't have a point. Now imagine in Elul, as Rosh Hashanah approaches, you really focus your actions. What you're doing is you're putting, you're sharpening the pencil, you're putting a point on the pencil. Now all of a sudden, all of the things that you've done up until now, sort of like all get aligned in focus. Imagine a magnet and you've got like metal shavings on the table and you put the magnet near the metal shavings, they all stand up in unison. 
the actions that you're doing in Elul now, especially if you're doing them with kavana and with focus and toward an end, toward saying that this is what I want, this is, this is who I want to be, whatever it is, please God answer this prayer. That's sort of like aligning all of the actions, all of the mitzvot that you've been doing all along and really giving it a sharp point. So this is, this is a very great um, <coughs> chesed, a very great kindness that Hashem is doing for us. And this is, I think, on a very deep level, what it means the king is in the field. That this, this level of re, re, uh, receptivity, that God's receptiveness to us is very, very strong because he's counting what we're doing. Um, extra. So I'll tell you one of my favorite Hasidic stories. Uh, I heard it from Reb Shlomo, and um, I, I remember it being in the name of the original Rebbe. So, so there were two neighbors, and one neighbor lent the other neighbor um, money, and the, uh, the other neighbor hadn't repaid the debt. And the neighbor who made the loan, you know, needed the money, wanted the money back, which is his right. 100%. So he sees that the Rebbe is visiting the, the neighbor and he says, okay, so you know what it is? Now I can, while the Rebbe is over at the house, now I'm going to ask him for the money and he's not going to be able to say no in front of the Rebbe. So he goes and he says, um, you know, can I have my money please? And the, the uh, Rebbe says to the person, he says, is it true? Did you borrow the money? And the man says, it's true. I, I, I borrowed the money. He says, well, he says, but he says, I haven't got it. So the Rebbe says, do you, do you have anything? He says, I have a few coins. So he, the Rebbe says, bring the coins. So he brings the coins. Let's say he has six coins. And let's say that the loan was for a hundred coins. Okay. So the Rebbe looks on the table and he counts one, two, three, four, five, six. And then with the same coins, he goes seven, eight, nine, <laughs> ten, eleven, twelve. And with the same coins, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. And he counts and recounts and recounts the same coins till he gets to a hundred. Then he picks up the coins and he puts them in the hand of the man who had made the loan and he says, do you accept this as full payment for the loan? And the man says, yes, I accept it as full payment. And the Rebbe blessed him with wealth and he became tremendously wealthy. So Reb Shlomo says that, that Hashem is counting and recounting our mitzvot over and over again. You know, God, I'm saying this now, but Hashem, you know, there's a lot of things that we've done over the years that, that we ourselves don't even remember. You know, I'll tell you something, without mentioning any names, but just just because I heard it yesterday and it made a strong impact on me. Someone told me that they're doing something really very remarkable with their life. And I was meeting them for the first time. 
<coughs> and I was just saying hello. They said to me, you know, I have you to thank. It's like, what are you talking about? And they said, because the reason why I'm doing this is because of this person who basically encouraged me to do this thing. And the way that I met him and the way that he encouraged me was he told me something that you told him 11 years ago. <laughs> you know, like Reb Shlomo would say, what do we know? What do we know? What do we know? There are so many ripple effects and so many domino effects of the things that we do, we, we don't even know. We don't even know. And, you know, I, I get... I mean, I get so frustrated slash angry, really, when I see the message that, that contemporary society sends us, which is that we can't accomplish anything unless we're rich and famous. And it's, it, is, it is such a lie. It's such a, it's such a slander. Because if you really learn history, you see that events and the world change based on really nobody's doing something. And small conversations and small acts of chesed. And that these things create movements. <coughs> and these things have amazing ripple effects. I mean, I'll just give you one example. I mean, there are many, many, many examples to give, but this is the one that pops into my head. Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks was a poor black woman in the South, and they told her, you can't sit in the front of the bus. Black people have to sit in the back of the bus. And she just said, I'm too tired. And I'm sure when she said, I'm too tired, she meant physically, and I'm just fed up with this rule. And that basically ended segregation. I mean, she didn't know her congressman. She didn't know her senator. She didn't, she didn't have any money. She wasn't a congressman. She wasn't a senator. And, this, and the whole world changed. You know, and there are many, many, many examples of this. But that's, let's just use that one for now. And that's all of us. We're, we're all her. We're all her. You know? In terms of the ability that we have, if we undertake something with sincerity and, and truth, So, so let's, let's, let's go further into Rosh Hashanah. See, because there's the case that we can make for ourselves. And, um, and that's, that, that's, that, that's important because we all want to get our prayers answered because Rosh Hashanah is called Yom Hadin. So this is, this is a big day. It's, it's a very big day. And by the way, it's a big day for the whole world. Jews, non-Jews, all nations are judged on Rosh Hashanah. And, you know, I wish that 
I wish that the Jewish people could put out an ad in the in the newspaper, really, in newspapers around the world, that 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 the non-Jewish people of the world should appreciate the power of Rosh Hashanah. They should make sure that they're that they're giving that they're that they're giving a lot of charity on that day, and that they're and that they're reaching out and and praying on that day as well, you know, in in whatever way they understand. Because why shouldn't they benefit from this day, which is impacting them as well? You know, it, it seems like only right that, that, that the whole world should understand what Rosh Hashanah is. Only fair. You know, because there are a lot of people who, have, who aren't Jewish, but they have giant hearts and giant souls and, and, and can accomplish giant things on behalf of God. They, if, they, if they knew, they would do. I always tell if there are like a couple of friends that I have that aren't Jewish around Rosh Hashanah time, I say, you know, just try to give some charity and try to just, you know, maybe say a prayer or whatever it is, because this is, this is an important day for you too. Um, so, so if you look at the, the, the classic sort of like one word explanation of Rosh Hashanah, what happens on Rosh Hashanah. What you'll hear is, it's about making God king. Right? And so, so how do, if it's a, really about God, and it's not even so much about our individual requests, although that does play a role, so how do you reconcile those two things? How is it if it's really about making God king, and what does that mean, by the way? What does that mean to make God king? And then, if it's so if it's about God, then it's not about me, so what are we talking about? All my personal prayers, and ah, now I'm confused, right? Okay, so here's how I think it works. Um, you see, and this might sound a little bit funny when I say it, but just hear it out, and you'll hopefully hear the, the truth of it. You see, one of the best things that I think that a person can pray, or perhaps the best thing, to my limited understanding, that a person can pray on on Rosh Hashanah, is that God should have a great year. You know, I'm praying God should have a great year. So what does that mean exactly? What does that mean? Okay, because God is God. God is has all of His needs. Right? So what does that mean that God should have a great year? So, so remember, the world's not done yet. We're, that's the whole thing that's going on right now. That we're partners with God in terms of completing the world. So this is a very amazing stage of, of, of history that's going on right now. And it's limited, by the way. They're, they're confined, <coughs> bless you, they're confined deadlines to it, basically. At a certain point, reality, the universe, evolves into the next stage. And you know, it's, it's so, you, you see it, by the way, in the first word of the Torah. Because what is the first word of the Torah, which we know is the blueprint of reality? What's the first word of the Torah? Breshis, which means what? Beginnings. So if you begin a sentence with beginnings or a story with beginnings, what does that mean? That there's a middle and an end. The Torah is telling you with the very first word 
that this is a stage of reality. This is the beginning stage. There's going to be a middle and there's going to be an end. That there's a process that all of us are involved in. That's what this is. That's what this world is. How do we do it? By doing the mitzvot, by fixing our souls, right? By revealing godliness. All of these things are the tools in which we reach the end. So what does it mean to pray that God should have a great year? That means that the vision that God has for the ultimate, for the ultimate world should become manifest. That God himself should have, what we say, nachas ruach, that God himself should have pleasure over his creation. That there should be no barriers between this world and the perception of godliness and the oneness of God and the goodness of God and the greatness of God. This is what we want. And one of the central prayers, or perhaps, I know according at least to the Ger Rebbe, the central prayer of all of Rosh Hashanah davening is that every creation should recognize its creator. Do you understand the profundity of that? That means that everything is stripped away. All confusion, all lack of clarity is stripped away, and basically we're in the state of Dveka's kite, of oneness, of cleaving with God. This is, this is what it means for God, so to speak, to have a good year. This is what it means to make God king. That's what it means that, that God should become king. Not because otherwise, how can you understand making God king? God, first of all, God is already king. Right? Second of all, you know, what is it? What is he going to have? A, a, another crown or a bigger crown? There are no crowns. I mean, those are all just metaphors. So what does it mean? It means that God should be able to see the work that he's done complete. Okay, so now let's get back to our question. So if I'm really praying for God on Rosh Hashanah, then what's all this stuff that we were talking about before, praying for my own needs? What's that all about? Ah, now God, how can I best be able to reveal your oneness? Oh boy, wouldn't it be great if I could have a home that reflected your beauty and a marriage partner and to be able to have children and to be able to bring them up in your, in your oneness, in your way. God, I, I would love to be able to have Shabbos and to have Shabbos and really enjoy it and, 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 and to educate my kids, but I need a job. I need a job for that. God, I, I want to go to shul so much so every single day I can praise you and I can declare your oneness, but I've got health problems. i got to get rid of those. you got to make me healthy so that I can do it. I don't have health problems, thank God. But I'm saying that these are, these are, these are things. So, so all of these personal prayers, all of these personal prayers, if they're contextualized within wanting to reveal the oneness of God, for God Himself, so to speak, to have a good year, if you will. 
then now I'm like firing on all, I'm firing on all engines at this point. But for real, it's not, oh, I'm, I'm tricking God. It's, it's not that. It, it's not that. It's, this is for real. Because God wants us to have these things anyway, by the way. But, you know, he wants us ideally to do the most, most, most with them. You know, someone asked me, I hear this every once in a while, but what if when I'm praying for those things for me, I'm really praying them more for me than for God? Right? So then wouldn't God know that and then my prayer would really sort of be sort of insulting or considered manipulative or something like this? Or hypocritical, perhaps, or something like this? And... The short answer is don't worry about it. That's the short answer. The longer answer goes like this. One of the chief weapons of the Sahara, and it's a brilliant, brilliant uh, uh, sabotage that the Sahara does on us, which is the Sahara tries to use our own integrity against us. And the way that he does it is, he says, look, you are a person of truth, right? Isn't that the whole foundation of what you're trying to do? You're trying to be a person of truth. And this thing that you're trying to do, these prayers that you're making, you know, there's an element of falsehood to them. So, or these mitzvot that you're trying to do, Right? You don't fully understand why you're doing it and this, that, and the other thing. So there's an element of falsehood to it. So if you really want to maintain being a person of truth, you must stop praying and doing mitzvot. (laughs) (laughs) And us, in our confusion, we go, yes, you're right. You're right because I really want to be an upright person. I really do. As they say, game, set, and match. Right? Check and mate. Look at the brilliance of the Eight Sahara, the evil inclination, as it turns our own most prized quality, our integrity, and our search for truth in against us. <laughs> so let's return back to the short answer. Pray it anyway, do it anyway. Right? As I heard in the name of many rabbis, do you know exactly how aspirin works? <laughs> do you say, no, I'm not taking that antibiotic, right? <laughs> Until, you know, you give me a complete explanation of biology. No, just take the pill, for goodness sakes. We all do it anyway. Does that make us a hypocrite? (laughs) You know, it's like, this is what it is. This is what it is. And by the way, you're never going to understand it fully anyway. Because God's bigger than us. God's infinite and we're finite. And there's only a certain amount that our brain can comprehend anyway. So at a certain point... You might have a very expansive knowledge, but at a certain point, you don't know the whole point anyway, by definition, by your own finiteness. 
so new, you know? And and it's sort of like you know well so so there's one more thing that 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 I would suggest which is uh, that that it's really it's it's really important to talk to God, especially before Rosh Hashanah, especially this time of year. And you know, I I always call these talks that 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 I give here that it's like couples therapy between us and God, you know, because I really more than anything in the world, we we have to prize our relationship with God. That is our primary relationship. We could be married 75 years and have the happiest marriage in the entire world. Our primary relationship is each one of us individually in God. That's just what it is. There's nothing more central to our existence than our relationship with God. There's nothing more primary. There just isn't. We have to get that relationship right. We have to. It's imperative. It's, a, it's a, for the sake of our own souls, for the sake of the world. We have to get it right. And you can't be in a relationship. You know, I have the best relationship with my wife. You know, we are fantastic. Do you ever talk with her? No, we never talk. You know, there's a joke. There's a joke like uh, that it's sort of like, you guys, you, you guys have the best marriage. What's, your, what's the marriage advice, right? Twice a year, no, twice a week, we go out to a really fancy restaurant. You know, they have music, tablecloths, it's really fancy, twice a week. I go Tuesday, she goes Thursday. <laughs> 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 right? it's, it's an old joke, it's an old joke. But, but because we all appreciate the absurdity <laughs> Of how can you be in what you call a good relationship and not can be communicating with the other person, right? You can't. You can't do it. So, so if our relationship with God is our primary relationship, we we have to talk to God. We have to. We have to. And and I'm telling you, the best time to do it is when you're probably in Los Angeles. I would say probably your car. Probably, you know, because most of the time you're in your car, you're alone. <coughs> and you're in this sealed place and all the people who are at the stoplight next to you assume that you're on Bluetooth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you are on a call, but... You know. So there's nothing strange. You don't have to be the least bit self-conscious. You have privacy, you have time. And like Rabbi Nachman says, you talk to God like he's your best friend. And you just say, you just start talking. And there's something amazing that happens when you keep on talking because you start to hit on topics that you didn't even have in mind. And you start to, the conversation starts to evolve in very surprising ways. And you start to get insights 
and something, I, I, I use the word with caution, but something magical happens in terms of just how the conversation begins to flow. You know, and if you, and, and most people have trouble like, well, how do you begin the conversation? How do you get into the conversation? It's so awkward and I'm not used to it and everything like that. So I'll just tell you, one piece of advice is that you just begin by thanking God, right? And you, and you say, thank you, God. And you just think of the things to thank God for. And you can just go from your head to your toes, by the way. The point is, A, to thank God, but, but more important, just to get the talking going. And then you, all of a sudden, you, it's, there's something always very surprising happens. You realize how much there is to thank God for that you, you aren't thanking God for. And then all of a sudden, if you have a big problem, all of a sudden it seems like a smaller problem because a moment ago you thought, this is the only thing that's going on in my life is that I don't have X or that I need Y. And then after you start thanking God for your, for your, for your eyes and for your nose and for your mouth and for your ears, right? And for your neck, I mean... You could have like the best brain, the prettiest eyes, the best singing voice, but if you don't have a neck to attach your head to your body. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about me. You know, I, you know, I really, I want to introduce you to someone. She is, is she pretty? She's so pretty. Oh my goodness. You have never seen a prettier face. And what, but you know what? I like creative people. She's so creative. And then you show her a head on a table. What? <laughs> you know, you know when you get to the. Thank you, God, for my neck. I mean, until this moment, I never really appreciated how grateful I have to be that I have a neck. For goodness sakes, you know. And then you go, you go down to your toes. And then at that point, you know, you'll be talking and you'll be appreciating. You really will be appreciating because I think all of us either know someone personally or know about someone who's probably lacking in each one of those things that we have that we never even think about. And how much would they give to have just that thing that you have that you never even think about? So, and... Um, And also, just to realize, and, and, and this maybe is, is maybe the most important key of the whole thing, is, is for us to really carve into our minds and carve into our hearts the goodness of God. Because it really is hard. It's not, you're not imagining it. If you feel like you're having a hard time, it's because you probably really are having a hard time. It's not... You're, you're not being a crybaby, and uh, you're not making it up. But God's not trying to get you. He just isn't. He made you. He loves you. He made the whole world. He's keeping you alive. He's giving you a lot of good things right now. In addition, yes, to the difficulty, but he's giving you a lot of good things right now. And he wants something more of us. He wants something more of us. And God never stops wanting something more of us. 
And he does that because he loves us. That's coming from a place of love. It's not this demanding, annoying father who just won't give us a break. It isn't that. It just isn't that. You know? Can you imagine if you had a child who was like a... uh, like an artistic genius, like an incredible painter, like the greatest painter. And you didn't encourage that child to paint at all. He loved to watch TV. And you just would walk into the room and there he is just watching TV all day. What kind of parent would you be if you didn't try to help that child get in front of the canvas? more. Even if you actually had to punish the child to get in front of that canvas. So that's all of us. We're all that child. God wants something more from every single one of us. And it's not because he's mean. It's because he loves us and because he puts something great inside of every single one of us. And he wants it to come out. So I'll just conclude with one one more idea. Which is, and we talked about it a little bit before, but it's something that we have to have in mind right now. You know, Hashem is the greatest storyteller in the world. And God loves stories. And if you look in the Torah, the Torah is, there's a lot of stories in the Torah. Didn't have to be that way. Could have been a set of laws and that's it. Could have been, that's it. Just a code of, you know, just a code of laws. And it's, uh, it's not that. It isn't that. There's a lot of stories in it. And God is telling stories through our lives. Each one of us is a story that God is telling. So ask yourself this question. What story am I telling? So if I said about myself, I would say, well, wait a second. You know, I'm I'm a a writer. Uh, I'm a dad. I, I live in Los Angeles. It's 2014. I live in the Pico Robertson community. I, uh, I'm white. I'm Jewish. And then that's already a lot of the story right there. If you just go through where you are in your life at this moment, that's a lot of the story right there. So if you say, oh, I know what the next step is. I'm going to become a blacksmith. It's like, what? No, no. If you really like that, maybe in your spare time, but no. No, there is a narrative that has some sort of drive right there. What is the next step in that? Right? This idea that we're constantly starting from scratch... You know, in certain instances, that's helpful in certain instances. But in other instances, it's sort of like, what is the next 
chapter in this story that's being told right now? How do I then take whatever it is that I'm contributing right now and figure out a way to do that better? Instead of just trying to make something up and pull something out of thin air. So that's, I, 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 that makes sense to me because it's more grounded. You know, so like for instance, something that might be helpful is maybe I can write some more, right? Maybe I can, you know, I'm giving these audio talks. Maybe I can do a short written thing every week or once a month or maybe a, a couple more articles a year or something like that since that's kind of what I'm doing, but I don't really write a lot of articles. So maybe, maybe I can write some more articles, right? So that, that's, that's, that's kind of what I'm talking about, you know? So, and then that kind of makes sense. If you think about it, that's sort of like, okay, taking what I have and then trying to do a little bit more with it, right? So, so, so try to apply that in your own life as well. And, and think about what a, 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 a natural outgrowth of what you're doing right now and what you can do would be, right? Um... I'll just uh, maybe throw one very last thing in. It's because I think it's a, a very interesting idea. I, I, I learned this from Rabbi Kellerman, and he, he talked about the idea of... Now, now I just want to be very clear, because otherwise this point might sound confusing. I'm not talking about general tshuva, general fixing of various problems and rectifying various things. I'm not talking about that right now. It's a very specific idea. So this is a separate category, okay? So he was talking about, in this separate category um, uh, place, in addition to everything else we want to do and we're going to do, taking on one micro-small thing, it's got to be micro-small, but the idea being that will do it and never not do it. So it's got to be super small because the point is almost not the action itself, but the fact that we're doing something different forever. So let me just make that clear. The, the, the greatness of this idea is not that the thing, this micro-small thing that I'm taking on is like a big mitzvah, or it's going to make a big contribution to the world. That's not the idea at all. <coughs> the idea is I'm going to do something tiny, small, which is going to be something that I can do without fail forever, which is something that I haven't been doing before. The idea being, and here's the point, is that with this thing, I will become a different person than I was before. Even if the difference between who I am now and what I was before is, this, is the width of a piece of dental floss, <laughs> it was like a micron wide. Nonetheless, through this action, I am becoming a different person. Now again, let me just clarify. This is, this is in addition to and separate from the general work that we're doing in preparation from Rosh Hashanah. This is a separate category. And the point is not to do something like, from now on I'm not speaking Lashon Hara. 
that's great. Then that's something that we all have to work on. But that's not this category. This category is, you know, ideally we're putting, when we put on a jacket, we put in our right arm first. Okay? That's what I took on last year. Okay? That's something that you can do. The point is, is that it should be easy. And it should be small. And it should be something that you're, not, you're going to do infallibly from now for the rest of your life. Right? Anything that has like an X factor in it, like, oh, I need a little energy for that or a little strength for that, anything like that, I, that's not this. That's, a, that's, in the, that's in the other category. So let me throw out an idea for you. If you're looking for something like that, okay, you want to say, okay, I want to take on something super small. You know, there's a Torah way to put on your, your, your socks and shoes in the morning, okay? So if you don't know it, it goes like this. You put your right sock on, and then your left sock on, then your right shoe, then your left shoe, and then you tie your left shoe, and then you tie your right shoe. So I'll say that one more time. Put your right sock on, then your left sock on, your right shoe, then your left shoe, then you tie your left shoe, and then you tie your right shoe. I'm not saying you should take that on. Here's what I'm saying. Put your right sock on first. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's something that you can do. That's something that you can do. Okay? I'll give you one more. If that is hard, because maybe you're half asleep when you're getting dressed and you don't know, or maybe, like me, you have a lot of trouble... You're right from your left. Yeah, I, I am. I heard it once called very kindly left-right confusion. <laughs> I think that was a nice way of not saying idiot. <laughs> um, so, so um, in the shower, there's a way to wash yourself in the shower, by the way. So I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what that is in case you don't know it. First, you wash your hair. That's the top of your head, right? So you wash your head. Then you wash your face. Then you wash your heart. Very beautiful, you know? So you go from your head to your face to your heart. Then you wash your right hand. Then you wash your left hand. Then you wash your right foot. Then you wash your left foot. And then it's up to you. So it's head, face, heart. And I'll tell you something special. You can have a kavana while you wash your heart. You can say to yourself, V'tahir libenu l'avdecha b'emes. Right? And God should purify my heart so I can serve you, God, with truth. Right? So, head, face, heart, right hand, left hand, right foot, left foot. And again, I wouldn't take that on, but just start with the shampoo. Right? That, that's, again, that's something that you can do, probably. And I'm not telling you you have to do either of those things or any of this, by the way, this is all up to you. But, but to find, I'm just giving you examples of something super small. But again, get, get the idea, which is a very cool idea. Once I'm doing this, I am now, by definition, a different person than I was before. And that makes me into this new creation. And the point is not that it's a dramatic thing. It's just that it's a different thing that I can do consistently. Okay? So, um, 
Hashem should bless us with the best, 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 best year. Amen. And really, we should give Hashem a lot of nachas ruach, a lot of pleasure, that He should see just how hard we're trying or just how much we want to try. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.